are listening to True Crime Twins, a true crime podcast hosted by Chloe and Melina Cantor. True Crime Twins is distributed by Glassbox Media and is part of the Crawlspace Media family. Welcome back to True Crime Twins, where we use our occupational and academic backgrounds in criminology and medicine to tell you crime stories each week. I'm Chloe. And I'm Melina. Thank you for joining us for another week of true crime. Today's crime story is that of a Jane Doe, dubbed Gramby Girl. We are joined by former police chief of the town of Gramby, Lou Barry, who now works as a private investigator. You've probably heard him on other shows talking about his work with the nonprofit organization Investigations for the Missing. Hi, Lou. How are you? I'm well, and yourself? I'm doing great. I'm really happy to have you on to talk about this case. Lou and I will discuss various cases that we're interested in. And this one I find particularly interesting just because both of us did work for the town where this Jane Doe was found. She is the only unidentified decedent in Hampshire County, Massachusetts. And you served as the police chief for the town of Granby between which years? From 1987 to 2010. Gramby Girl, who was believed to be in her late teens to mid to late 20s, was a five foot four girl with dirty blonde hair. She had a overweight build. She was found by loggers off of Amherst Street in Gramby on November 15th, 1978. When you joined the Gramby Police Department as chief, how was this case sort of brought to your attention? Was Granby the primary investigative agency or was it with the Massachusetts State Police? The involvement of our department at that time was, was extremely minimal. We had a very sketchy, I guess, or incomplete folder on the case, very minimal information on it because back then many of the any serious crime was handled by the state in, in this town. So the involvement of the department, like I said, was very, very minimal. They responded to the initial scene and then did some scene securing later on and everything. But as far as investigations go, I'm not being here then. I'm not sure exactly how much they were involved with the actual investigation by the state. But going by the records that we have, it, it wasn't a heck of a lot. I served as a department head for a completely separate, non-related department for that town, but we would periodically meet with every other department head just to discuss matters that were relevant across departments. But when the police chief, when he was presenting, I would always say at the end, so what about any news of the cold cases? And he told me that all of the files were stored in an area that wasn't proper and you needed hazmat gear or something to access them. Can you confirm that? The police department at the time was housed in the town hall, uh, which was a built as a school back in the late 1800s and served as a, as the high school for a number of years and then became the town offices. And the police department was housed in the basement of that building. And at some point in time, I'm not sure when, as again, I wasn't in the town yet, the town was required by the state to have vaults. So they built a brick two-story structure, if you will, on the back of the town hall to house the vaults. Um, unfortunately, because it's record storage, they couldn't have any outside ventilation there. So the only way to keep moisture from building is, you know, any 
time you have a building like that where th brick building the three sides are exposed you're going to get moisture buildup was dehumidifiers and unfortunately over the years the dehumidifiers oftentimes were functioning and the records became uh, wet moldy and over the years it became the air was so so disgustingly moldy fortunately that particular file as well as a couple other files sudden deaths i removed from the file and kept in a file cabinet what minimal files they were that the department had were out of that vault so the files were separated and secured and i assume still are the police chief of granby at the time of this discovery was chief john r kirchhoff he had commented to the local paper that the body was discovered about one eighth of a mile off of amherst road one half a mile south of Route 116. I believe that might be a typo because 116 is Amherst Road. So I think he meant, or they probably just misprinted. It's supposed to be Amherst Street. Is that correct? Yeah, it was found off of Amherst Street. Amherst Street joins Amherst Road. And actually where, where they meet, Amherst Road then turns into Amherst Street also. So Amherst Road actually ends at Amherst Street. And Route 116 or Amherst Road becomes Amherst Street at that point. But her body was found on off Amherst Street about five, six hundred feet into the woods. The body was discovered at about five o'clock PM that Wednesday afternoon near a gravel pit in a heavily wooded area. Now in 2022, Amherst Street is quite developed. I wonder if now where her body was would be a modern day house or a yard. I would say the exact spot is probably still wooded because the houses don't go back that far. In other words, the, the building has been done right along Amherst Street. So I don't know that that area really has changed. That particular spot, anyways, has changed all that much. Kirchhoff said that women's clothing was found, including a green sweater that had a bird on it. All of the clothing was sized 14 to 16, which would lead them to believe that she was heavier set. Just for context, I typically wear size four. I don't know if maybe sizes were a little bit different. Back in the 70s, they were a little bit higher. So I probably would have been considered maybe a six or an eight back then. But that indicated that she was heavier set, although the only thing left were her skeletal remains, according to Chief Kirchhoff. He also said the body was not accompanied by a wallet, pocketbook, or any other material that would help identify the woman or girl. Is there anything else that you can tell us about how the crime scene was found and what was left behind? The girl, the victim, had apparently been dragged from wherever the person parked on Amherst Street to where she was located by a leather belt that was wrapped around her neck. Her neck was broken, whether that was done prior to her death or the cause of her death or, or part of the cause of her death or during the um, removal so the spot, I, I don't know. But actual cause of death was a bullet wound to the head. Other than that, the most distinctive article, if you will, was the shirt. It had a design on it, distinctive design on it that was almost, you'd almost say something a child would wear. It was a, a green swan. The shirt itself was short-sleeved and um, had a green collar and a green, almost like an underneath part that looks like a, I, I don't know how to describe it, but the outer part was was like a green and white check and then underneath was green and then it was this green swan embroidered on the front of it. So that was really the most identifiable item and 
I think the one that gave them the most hope at the time that she would be identified. Unfortunately, she never has. The other only other notable thing I can think of, is they say uh, very poor dental work might, you know, so it would indicate perhaps, you know, someone who didn't have a lot of money or didn't have a lot of exposure to dental care or whatever. The autopsy was performed the next day, that Thursday, by Dr. William Dean, who is a medical examiner, and Dr. George Katsis, who is the state pathologist, and Dr. Stanley Swartz, who was a forensic dentist. It makes sense he was called in if her two front teeth were clearly decaying to determine what level of dental care she had received in her lifetime. Apparently, x-rays were taken at Holyoke Hospital as part of the autopsy, which confirmed at that time that the woman was in her early 20s. I don't know what exactly they would base that off of with her bones. What do you think, Melina? It could be bone density or just like when the growth plate closes in particular bones is my best guess. Do you think the science could be different now as far as guessing someone's age based on bones? It's unclear, but I do think that the science has changed now in terms of being able to do more digging with DNA research. I was actually wondering just now if they have her DNA on file. I believe so, yes. I believe she was exhumed a couple of years ago and they did take DNA. It's been uploaded into the databases also. The post-mortem interval, which was basically the time of death, was estimated to be three to 12 months that she was out there in those woods. Was there anything about how she was killed, which was confirmed to be by a gunshot to her left temple. Was there anything about how she was killed that says something about the offender? I don't believe so. It doesn't really tell us a lot, unfortunately. I know at the time they did an extensive search of all the surrounding because of the uh, many colleges nearby. They thought maybe it was a student at first. or uh, And then there was somebody to well, maybe it's someone that was hiking along one of the trails, and you know, no one was reported missing that matched that description, unfortunately. You know, I, I wouldn't want to draw any conclusions from the method of death. And now, a quick word from our sponsors. Think back to sex ed for a moment. You probably learned all about how to prevent pregnancy, but what about how to plan for it? That's why Modern Fertility was created. It's an easy and affordable way to test your fertility hormones at home with a simple finger prick. Mail it with a prepaid label and you'll get your personalized results within 10 days. You'll get some insight into your hormone levels, your ovarian reserve, aka how many eggs you have compared to other women your age, and other important fertility factors. The results go deep into what every hormone means and you can also download the results to review with your doctor for the next steps. Traditional testing can cost over $600, but Modern Fertility gets you the same info at a fraction of the price. And if you go to modernfertility.com slash TCTwins30, you can get $30 off your test. Plus, you can get reimbursed for the test through your FSA HSA. If you want kids today, or maybe one day in the future, clinically sound info about your body can help you make the decision that's right for you. I personally tried Modern Fertility. It was very approachable and the instructions were so clear. I was able to do it in the comfort of my own home with a simple finger prick. I just had to kind of put some blood drops on this little card. It was so user-friendly. The package and label were all ready to go. 
the results came and I think less than 10 days and the way that the results were explained it was keeping the lay person in mind it was explaining what everything means exactly and what the combination of certain things mean and it's just an invaluable resource and I'm so happy in the end that I went through with it and I can show my doctor the results the next time I go Right now, Modern Fertility is offering our listeners $30 off of the test when you go to modernfertility.com slash twins 30 This is a limited time offer for $30 off. That means your test will cost $169 instead of the hundreds or thousands it could cost at the doctor's office. Get $30 off your fertility test when you go to modernfertility.com slash twins 30 modernfertility.com slash twins 30 Thanks for listening to our sponsors. Now back to the show. Something about the belt, like the men's belt being around her neck. I know that could have been a means of transporting her, like dragging her out of the car, but there's something very demeaning and almost domestic feeling about it. And it's disturbing to me that she... You couldn't find any matching descriptions in missing persons files because that sort of tells me that this victim could have been in foster care or in a different scenario where people maybe weren't looking or didn't care. But I feel like somebody must care. Like she potentially could have been wearing a wedding ring, right? There may have been a ring, but I I don't believe it led anywhere as far as identifying. Yeah, it was just a gold colored or a yellow colored ring that was found with the body. An article speculated that it could have been a wedding band. The speculation at the time was perhaps she was sex worker or, um, you know, came from some background where she, you know, didn't have a family or wasn't living with a family that would report her missing. And I almost wonder, I think that she was so decomposed to a point that if she were, say, pregnant, that there would probably be little to no evidence, but that could be something that would stick out to somebody if that was reported like a pregnant young woman but i think fetal remains are found with pregnant women like a fetal skeleton i would depend probably on how far along the pregnancy was did you have access to the crime scene photos no they're not in the file what do you think overall of the investigation at the time when Granby Girl was found? I didn't participate. There's really no file that I've seen that indicated what was or wasn't done, except in general that they, you know, checked with the colleges and they checked missing persons and they everything. And so other than that, I, um, I'm not really aware of what was or wasn't done, but obviously whatever was done didn't lead anywhere. With an unknown victim, you have no family who's advocating for the victim no friends advocating for the victim so it's very easy for a case like this to get kind of pushed aside you have no no victim's name you have no suspect were the remains cremated no they were not maybe someday there could be a forensic genealogy done like with lyle stevick that's one of the reasons why they took the dna sample a few years ago but to my knowledge at this point that hasn't led anywhere now again realistically that was back 1970 it was like 40 years ago. She would be in her 60s now, most likely, uh, at least. So her parents obviously would most likely be long deceased uh, and never have participated in the genealogy research that they're doing now. Unless she had children, which again, at that age and given the circumstances, probably doubtful. You know, does she even have a relative that's 
around or or has given DNA to to one of these groups. If you had an idea, okay, it might be her, it had a name, and then could find a relative and maybe make a match, you might have some luck, but without even knowing who she is, and it's a, it's a real long shot, I think, just because of the age of the case. Officials checked to see if anyone was missing from the town of Granby. They also checked Mount Holyoke, Smith College, and the University of Massachusetts all said that no one was missing. What other efforts were made at the immediate time to identify this young woman? Did they check local hospitals, state schools, things like that? My, again, a guess, because without having been there, not knowing what was done, they would have done an, you know, an NCIC check uh, for to see if there was any missing persons in the database matching the demographics. I'm sure that was done. It's kind of basic. You bring up an interesting point with the state school because for those who are familiar with it, the town next to us, town of Belchertown, there was a state-run facility for people who had learning disabilities, psychiatric issues. There's a, a whole history there. Some people were put there without any reason just because nobody wanted them. That was That's relatively close to the location. I'm, I'm talking about it was the next town over. And historically, there were times when their residents would wander off and notification wasn't always timely. They said that no one was missing from the school. In my mind, that doesn't really mean that she wasn't a resident there. That just wasn't reported. There's a lot of horror stories that went on at that facility. So I wouldn't discount the fact that she could be a resident there. In fact, as I mentioned before, the shirt that she was wearing with that design was something a little child would wear, a young person would wear. I want to say recently, maybe a year and a half, two years ago, I read a book about the state school. And in that was a photograph. And I think I gave you a copy of that, Chloe, of a young boy who's wearing a shirt with a swan design. Now, the swan is different. But I was told that there was a woman who lived there that used to make clothes for the children um, and for the residents. I say children because they, many of them were not children. And she liked to put swans on them. So that would kind of fit. Now, it doesn't obviously prove anything, but it kind of would kind of fit the scenario. That's super interesting. I didn't know about that place in Belchertown. But while you were talking about that, something that I remembered was there's that psych hospital in Northampton back then, probably, right? And I'm sure that there's not many records from there at this point in time, but that could be a potentially a, another possibility of a forgotten victim could have been somebody that ran away from the hospital. Yeah, it's, um, you know, it, it's a, a sad chapter, I think, in the history of mental health in this state that what happened in some of those facilities is a very good book by the title. You'll like it here with stories about a guy named Donald Vitkus, who was a resident of the Belchtown State School. And he with an author, wrote a book about his growing up, his experiences there, and he eventually got out, went out on his own and lived a very productive life. It's really very worthwhile reading about. And what we know is that this young woman was in her late teens to mid to late 20s. She had light brown to blonde hair, noticeable decay on her front teeth. She was likely Caucasian, although her body had decomposed to the point of skeletonization. So we don't really know exactly what her race was unless they did some sort of analysis of her ancestry. And perhaps they know that information, but nothing like that has been made public. 
We know that she was found in a shallow grave in a gravelly, woody area in Granby, Massachusetts. She was shot with an unknown caliber. They were never able to find casings and was dragged with a man's belt. Anything else that we know, Lou? You know, just something I think that should be noted. For years, there was a um, cross marker grave, and that was the only memorial, if you will, to her. It's buried in the, in the local West Street Cemetery. And then at some point, I don't recall the year, one of the cemetery commissioners thought it would be a good idea to recognize that grave somehow. So he started a fundraiser and through the generosity of one of our citizens, very quickly purchased a memorial stone. So now that in the cemetery, there's a marker, a stone marker. It says unknown the date and then underneath in, in God's care. And it actually was they had a small ceremony there when it was dedicated. It was kind of nice to show that even though no one knows who she is, the town still hasn't forgotten about her or hadn't forgotten about her and still, you know, recognizes that this poor girl was killed in our town or at least left in our town. Not a bright chapter in the town's history. So. Again, the young woman was wearing a short-sleeved sweater shirt with a green collar and a swan on the front, a bra black underwear, a blue sweater vest, blue jeans, brown shoes, and a yellow metal ring with illegible initials marked 14K. If you have any information on this unidentified Jane Doe found in Granby, Massachusetts, please contact the Granby Police Department or the Massachusetts State Police.